In today's episode of 33 Dreams of Indy, presented by Symmetric Driver Performance Labs, we're going to catch up with a driver whose 33 dreams actually came true. A historic figure, George Mack, coming up next. Hundreds of drivers with dozens of teams compete in multiple series with one ultimate goal, to race in the Indianapolis 500. Yet each year, only 33 dreams come true. These are the stories that make up the 33 dreams of Indy. Mr. George Mack, pleasure to have you on the show and uh, understand you're uh, dealing with what you have to deal with quite a bit, uh, LA traffic, correct? <laughs> yeah, I mean, while I love living here and it is where I grew up uh, and my foundation is, um, it's always a struggle with traffic and crazy people and uh, tourists and everything else. Part of, part of, part of what made you uh, what you were when you're growing up with the car culture. And we'll talk about that in just a bit. I ask up and coming drivers to dream with me. What would it be like to start the Indy 500? You had that experience. So tell me, what was it like? Oh my gosh. Um, well, uh, oh boy, scary. Intimidation comes to mind. Curiosity. I had no idea what to expect. I had never run the Indy 500 before, obviously. So um, I just had to try to relay in my mind the things that my dad has always told me while, you know, all my, I'm still alone in the car. So the bottom line is, is, I was scared, 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 uh, and it kind of seemed like it, it was kind of surreal. I can't believe I haven't made this thing. Right. Um, the engine's running, and you know they're in my in my ear, in the in my helmet, and I just I was just scared shitless, man. I, I just, just petrified for a moment. The car started to roll. I felt a little better as I went to second gear. It felt better. Third gear, it felt better. But I was still uh, a wreck under my helmet. There's such a buildup as you take the parade laps and are able to go through that. And then I remember being there and, and seeing you and you just slowly, methodically kept pace, made it through yes. the... Uh, made it through everything, progress, 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 where we could see you right. on the board, um, maybe a little bit different pit strategy a couple times of, of coming in, um, and we'll talk about your team as well. Uh, but to be able to finish that, and you're still the highest uh, uh, finishing African-American in the Indianapolis 500, uh, it's quite a uh, feather in your cap. You know, we started in go-karts at eight or nine years old. So, uh, same kind of scenario as a lot of the drivers, some of which I, I grew up with. We, you know, we know from Southern California, but um, we're very proud of that. I mean, it, it, it was a long time coming. I just can't even believe I, I, I can't even believe I got there. I, I, just, I still can't believe it. So you got into racing, go-karting. You talk a lot about your father and your father's support. Uh, could you uh, touch on that some more? Because he really sounds like an integral part of your 
racing and, and somebody that was there um, running, taking care of some of the headwind for you as well. He was. My dad, you know, uh, he has his ways. But I got to tell you, you know, I had a fantastic childhood, great upbringing. We always had a pool in the backyard, always had barbecues. My mom always drove a Mercedes, you know. Uh, I was very lucky. My dad was an engineer for the city of Los Angeles. And then actually my mom worked for the city also. She was an investigator for the district attorney. Um, so, you know, the, their, their careers were all on track. You know, they were paid well, not well enough to afford, uh, you know, what, what, what go-karts would cost. Right. Um, my dad spent $150,000, $200,000 a year on my go-kart racing. Right. Um, they invested right. They had apartment buildings and company and a Quiznos and an H&R block along the way. And of course the cash flow uh, helps. And then we set up our own shop, Mac Enterprises. And with that, uh, that shop afforded us, you know, a, a lot that other people could not. When you're talking about go-karts, I mean, even though it was pretty expensive, uh, there's a lot of uh, people of color or, or just anybody in general. Right. Not necessarily the, the color thing. Just it, that's 150, 200 grand a year is a lot to spend on any damn thing, let alone your child's go-kart career. Right. Right. And we, we talk you about know, it many times. Yep. Go ahead. Yeah. The shop, you know, we, the shop stayed busy because I was winning races. So my dad would ask me after the races on the weekends, when I was racing shifter carts and all that, how many engines do we want to take home for the week every week because he was still working for the city. So, you know, I would say one a day, you know, let, let's do, let's, let's, let's handle one a day and then we can still have time for ourselves. We can still have time for our time. If we want to do some testing, we want to build our own engines and things like that. Let's, let's do, let's do one a day. So every week we'd go to the track. People would be trying to give us our engines because I'm kicking everybody's ass. And the only reason why I was kicking everybody's ass is because my dad was an engineer and he really, he really got, he delved into, you know, gearing, you know, he figured out how to make, he got the rule book. He figured out how to make the damn, those little engines run. And it's not just about how the engines run. It is based on chassis setup, which is a huge and integral part as well as the person who's driving it too. So, we ran some dirt stuff, which is kind of interesting too. And my dad used to race dirt cars when I before I started racing. And he had my set up to where I drive up to the corner, release the throttle, and the thing was set up on its own. It would turn sideways on its own, feather the throttle, bam, metal to metal on the way out. And people just could not understand why my stuff handled well. It was all my dad and it was set up. He put swing weight on the car. He had stagger like they do on sprint cars. You know, he, he, he had it figured out up here because I, I, I wasn't the best driver. I was decent along the way. I, you know, I, I learned, I got better, you know, 
but if it wasn't for him getting to Indy, I, I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have even happened. Quite a testament. Uh, I have here in the notes that I haven't really seen a lot of IndyCar drivers. Uh, this year was my 20th straight Indy 500 attending as a fan. Um, I have not seen a lot of drivers get more out of less than you did with the equipment that you drove in the IndyCar series. Do you feel the same way? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, you're exactly right. A lot of people don't know that. That just means you're a wise man. We, uh, you know, it's very expensive, obviously. Uh, my parents kicked in, uh, you know, you know, my parents kicked in a lot of money. We're talking six figures. Mm -hmm. Of course, I didn't know he had that, that kind of money. Uh, but my dad is one of those low-key kind of guys, kind of a country guy, grew up in Blythe, which is, you know, next to Arizona. You know, and they raised cattle and all that, you know, he and my grandpa. But my dad, he's a shrewd businessman. We kicked in a lot, or he kicked in a lot. We got sponsors. But even with that, we did not have what everybody else had. We ran the Chevy V6 at the time. And we didn't have the top flight stuff. They had different manifolds and different exhausts on some of my other team stuff, some of the other guys, but we had to do the best that we could. We were there, we made it there. We were happy we made it there. And we were, I was damn sure gonna make the best of it. So um, the equipment, it was hand-me-down equipment. We had problems during the first part of the month of May. I crashed once or twice, but I, I crashed once and folded one of the, the primary car pretty good. The car I ended up racing, car I ended up qualifying and racing was a backup car that we put together overnight. Mm. And once we got that thing kind of ironed out, that 227, I, if I had been able to qualify sooner, we would have been, you know, further up in the field to start right. with. Right. But the 227, I, I got, I can't remember what award that was but it was the most consistent laps as you know even being a rookie so that 227.150 been a lot of further front and we've been able to in the right because you were I had a fantastic time i was treated well i loved it you were in the last day qualifying then from that standpoint. So the rows before you were already set and you were able to go through that. It also yes. showed the entire season. I was looking, your average start was 21st, yet your average finish was 17th. So you were moving forward um, throughout the races and, and being able to go through. You raced on some tracks. Uh, if I remember correctly on the schedule, I reviewed through this, there were no road courses. This was an oval only IndyCar no. at that particular yes. time. Yes. Yet, yet your experience on go-karts was probably more towards the uh, road racing of turning right and left versus doing the ovals and jumping in. And uh, Phoenix, Homestead, Nazareth, actually being able to run there, Pikes Peak. Uh, you have experience yep. running at Richmond. If I was a, a driver that's looking at Richmond this year, I might be reaching out Kansas, Nashville. Now that was the Nashville concrete, yes. the oval, 
Michigan, Kentucky, yes. St. Louis, and Chicago. That's quite a list of tracks. Yeah. And, again, we didn't have the money for all the testing. We showed okay. up, and we raced, man. And, uh, and no sim. All the smaller tracks, we didn't have the horsepower. Yep. And you weren't sitting we in a simulator horsepower. beforehand. <laughs> no. It's uh, shifter carts. We'll get back to our interview with George Mack in just a moment. But first, our sponsor, Symmetric Driver Performance Labs, North America's premier mobile driver coaching and simulator lab, an official partner of the Road Indy series presented by Cooper Tire. The video you're seeing was recently shot with Kyle Kirkwood validating the USF 2000 car that drivers will be able to drive at the actual Road to Indy events. Check them out, Symmetric Labs. Now back to George Mack. Um, you know, on some of the small tracks like that you mentioned, Phoenix, things like that, we ran well. I ran decent at Nazareth. But I was giving little Al a run for his money. Um, he kept shutting the door on me. But that's about the driver. That's not about horsepower on the smaller tracks. So... That's when it kind of showed. On the bigger tracks, I had a hard time staying in the draft with the Infinity Motors mm -hmm. and uh, some of the other bigger teams that had the Chevy with all the bells and whistles. But on a smaller track, that's about the driver and about the setup. So I remember at Nazareth, yeah, uh, me and Lil Al, we were beating and banging. It was a great time. He gave me a handshake and a hug. He goes, listen, man, I don't care if they call you a rookie or not. He said, that was, all, that was all right with me. And so, you know, the same thing at Phoenix. I was doing pretty well. We were moving up. And I got crashed from the rear at Phoenix by Robbie McGee. Uh, going into the first turn. Boom. Just got, just taken out. I'm not sure what happened with him. But just got taken out. But we, we were poised to run top 10 at that Phoenix race before Indy. Um, so I was a little bit bummed about that because that was our drawing board and put something else together for me to run Indy. And the Indy deal, you know, it was a lot of money again. Uh, and, you know, I want to give a shout out to Tony George and the Indy Racing League. I know Tony George has moved on and I guess Mr. Bowles is running the whole thing now, but at that time, Tony George came down to my pit and he goes, I'm really impressed with you, kid. He pulled me aside. He says, I'm really impressed with you, kid. And you know something? This is good for all of us. And what I want to do, I want to do something for you. And what I'd like to do is help you guys out. And at first I'm thinking, you know, maybe a tutor or, uh, some kind of an engineer. I, I didn't know what to think. They gave me a check. Tony George, they gave me a check. And I still, uh, you know, I'll still bring tears to my eyes. That man didn't have to do that. They didn't have to do that. You know what I mean? Here you got a person of color 
coming up after Willie T. Ribs. Shout out to Willie T. Ribs. You know, he helped me along the way also. Uh, and Tony George and the, and the IRL, they didn't have to do that for me. So I've always been grateful. And the help that they gave me, <laughs> you know, that's the end result, man. We, we were actually running better. I finished. I was up to like 12th at one point and I'm just like in the car are you kidding me right now what the hell I was running with Alex Barron at the time he had a little better a little better uh, setup a little better uh, situation and I grew up with Alex Barron we used to race go-karts together him myself and Richie Hearn were the ones to beat in Southern California so Alex Barron is a driver and so is Richie Hearn those guys are drivers from when we were children, they're drivers. And I was running with him, drafting with him and things like that, just kind of buy, you know, buying my time, waiting for the right opportunity, just hanging out. We ended up having to pit. Yep. They miscalculated, they mis they miscalculated on the fuel. I had to pit one last time. I was running twelfth, and then that's how I ended up finishing seventeenth, because we had to pit again. Now, I'm great grateful for the 17th place finish i'm big difference between that and 12th though i would have loved to have been 12th <laughs> and and george you are a racer through and through because i found this about auto racers they can't remember what they ate today for lunch or what they did last week but you bring up a race that's and right i can remember exactly what happened in turn one or turn two to, to go oh man the... yes that's that's for sure Oh man <laughs> can we ever you're absolutely correct with that Absolutely, 100%. You've touched upon how the um, Tony George, and, and he was the epitome of uh, Hoosier hospitality, uh, being a steward of that yes. track and taking on the, uh, yes. the spirit of his, his family. How were you treated by the fellow competitors, uh, by the, the press, if you want to touch upon that? You know, being a rookie, I had a publicist. But being a rookie, you don't know what to expect. The publicist... You know, her job, I guess, was to prepare me for the big league, you know. Mm -hmm. She taught me along the way. She told me, you're going to be asked some hard, hard questions, young man. They're going to test you. That's what they do. They want the next big story. Mm -hmm. They want to see you have a meltdown and flip out. That's the big story. The end-all, be-all is... You can't show them that that part. You've got to be composed. Uh, we believe that you're the right person for that job. So they taught me to have a bottle of water with me when I do interviews and to take a sip of water after I'm asked a question, to simply take a moment and think about my response rather than answer haphazardly and say something foolish. So I took that, you know, uh, I, I took that in, and that's what I typically would do. Overall, I was treated okay. One time, uh, I can remember ESPN asked me about uh, we were in Kentucky, and I was already prepared. My publicist, once again, prepared me. Thank you, Renee. And she told me, they're probably going to ask you about going to Kentucky. And being a person of color, have an answer. Mm-hmm. So I did. And, but I made a joke. 
along, you know, during that conversation. And unfortunately, they edited my response and only aired the joke. And so a lot of people in Kentucky were pissed at me, sent bags full of, ma- of hate mail to the IRL. Tony George called me. He goes, kid, you know, you're a smart guy, man. Tell me you didn't do this. I said, no, Tony. I, I, I said, no, man. I, I told him what happened. And he did some digging, and he made ESPN issue an apology. So what ended up happening was they asked me who was my favorite country Western singer. And I don't listen to country music. I didn't listen to country music at the time. I was a kid. I said, Reba McIntyre and George Strait. But I said, no, no, I'm joking. I said, I like Snoop Doggy Dog music. And that's what was aired, my joke. And of course, it rubs some people in the wrong way. But I told Tony, I said, you know, I would never do that. I would never embarrass the league. I would embarrass you after everything you guys have done for me. We are on, you know, a different, uh, a different level now. I would never, ever do that. And so he goes, okay, well, I'm going to double check. He did. Came back. He goes, you know what, kid? That's all right. I'm going to get in their ass, and they're going to have to issue you and us an apology. And which that happened. They had to give us a written apology and air it and all that. And then, you know, to kind of settle down uh, the people in Kentucky. But, you know, you live and learn. Uh, end all be all is I shouldn't have even said the joke. You live and learn, you know. I shouldn't have even said the joke. And I would have been okay. How about the fans and the way that you were treated? Obviously, you're in different parts of the country, and there's um, still to this day um, issues if you traveled into certain parts of the country. Uh, that's the yes. that's where we live. Uh, but how were you treated overall yes. by the fans? Overall, I have to say. Um, it was still a great experience. I never knew what to expect from certain parts of the country. Um, but I made a comment. I still remember this too. And it's funny that you mentioned that a few minutes ago about a driver. You know, you can't remember what you ate or can't remember what you wore the day before, but you can remember certain things about comments you may have made uh, to the press or a race. And one time I remember... I think it was uh, after uh, Phoenix and I arrived at Indy and I was asked something similar uh, to your question. And I said, you know, I never know, you know, what to expect. I'm the new guy. Uh, great. I'm grateful to be here. This has been my lifelong dream, my family's lifelong dream. Uh, but I never know if the fans are going to hate me or spit on me if I walk out of here down the, the pit lane. There, and there, so that there, there was your there was your quote. I, I, <laughs> I, I had <laughs> you got I had, that right. I had made note of that. Of uh, with seeing that many people in the crowd, you didn't know uh, if they were going to uh, spit on you or cheer know. you. But uh, you were also then you added on that you were ready to uh, drink some milk and uh, make it chocolate. Yeah, make it chocolate. That's right. You know <laughs> that. You know all that was just such such great memories for me. And it was a part of me becoming an adult. It was part of me becoming a wiser individual. It makes no difference, the color 
a wise individual is a wise individual. Someone that can open their heart to others. Someone that loves other human beings, makes no difference who you are, where you came from. Find some common ground. Find something with another individual to bond with, show respect for. We all have a struggle. We all have a struggle. So, yeah, now that you mentioned that, now I remember that. That, you know, there's so many things that I, I wish I could have done better. So many things I could have done maybe even a little bit different, you know. Um, overall, I had a fantastic experience. I still have fantastic experience. I, I haven't been back to the 500. I didn't go this past year, but I went, you know, a couple years in a row. Okay. Signed a bunch of autographs. I was so surprised that people still remember me. The league hit me up and they told me, we have people that ask, hey, is George coming back? And I got to tell you, man, I, after this many years, um, you, you made I an impact across. You made an impact on my, my brother and I, my brother's out on the West coast, um, in the Seattle oh. area. Uh, okay. your brother, your brother Lloyd Mack, uh, running on the K and yep. West tour, uh, with the stock cars. Yes. Uh, so we wanted to make sure that we also, uh, recognized him of, of, uh, carrying on that family tradition as well. Uh, that's right through um you you gave a shout out to willie t uh ribs just a bit ago have you had an opportunity to see the netflix documentary and if you did what were your thoughts on that sorry have yep. i had an opportunity to see oh that the uh the deal on netflix yes uh, uppity with uh uh willie t ribs i saw it last week okay i uh called him up i uh, didn't get him and then he called me back and he missed me uh, but I keep track of him. Um, you know, I do conversate a little bit online with his son, Theo. He's doing very well in the professional shooting arena. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's doing very well. Uh, I just need to find time to call Willie back. He called, uh, today is a uh, Wednesday. He called me back like Monday evening. And uh, I didn't catch his call, and I saw the missed call. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Tried to call him right back, but he didn't answer. Give him a chat and catch up with him. Um, I did know some things about Willie I did not know, at, uh, you know, prior to viewing uh, Uppity. Um, I didn't know he had tested the F1. I, I didn't even know that, you know. Um, how I ended up meeting Willie was he saw me on ESPN racing some lower level something, and we were just kicking ass that day. And they kept saying, George Mack, the only back driver. George Mack, the only back driver. And so he told me he called all of the race shops on the West Coast because he was in San Jose at the time. said he called all these shops trying to find me. He found one shop that knew us and gave him my parents' home phone number. Okay. That is how I initially heard from Willie. And if you know Willie, he's very, uh, man, boisterous. You know, he didn't hold much back. This is what I love about him. There's no guessing with Willie. He called my parents' house. My mom answers the phone. 
me and my dad were outside in the race shop. We had a race shop at, at, at our house. My mom sticks her head out the back door and, and says that, hey, guys, uh, somebody named Willie T is on the phone. My mom, while she supported my racing and, and me and my dad's endeavors, she didn't, she didn't know who Willie T. Ribs was. So my name, Willie T. is on the phone. I remember looking at my dad. I think I was 18 years old. Look at my dad. My dad said, Willie T. Are you kidding me? I grabbed the phone. And as soon as I say hello, I, I have to imitate him right now so you can get the full effect. I'm not sure how I'm doing with the profanity or anything. You might have to bleep this out. And this is no exaggeration. He goes, Oh my God! Oh my God! Is this George Mack? I go, yeah, yeah, Willie, yeah. I knew who he was. I'd heard of him. He said, "You were kicking their ass!" And oh, I saw you on ESPN. I couldn't believe it. They kept saying George Mack, the only bet driver. He said, "Man, you were putting that thing places I had never seen before." He goes, "I am so impressed with you." And that was the, the the first part of our meeting the first part of our conversation it was so exciting he was so excited i could feel it through the phone from that guy and let it be known after that phone conversation he became friends with myself and my family my dad and he sent me money he sponsored me he sent me checks willie t ribs sent me checks to help you know, and that has always just, you know, really just kind of choked me up. He didn't have to do that. No contract mm -hmm. from this man. And then on top of that, he was running the Craftsman truck. Okay. The last race coming up, he called me, invited me to Fontana, hour, about an hour and a half drive from where we lived in L.A. Well, three hours, out. three hours the way your traffic is, but I understand, yes. Boy, <laughs> traffic, you're absolutely right. Drive out there. He pulls me into the pits. I'm looking at, I'd never been this close to a NASCAR event or a truck or anything. He introduces me to the team and the team manager. This is George Mack. If you don't know him, you will. Mm. I want this kid in the seat when I step out. All this was said in front of me. And I'm kind of, and my dad is like, holy Toledo. Don't even have words. I didn't end up taking that opportunity because we had already had the IRL thing kind of lining up. Okay. And for those that don't know, I lived in Europe for a while. My dad sent me to Europe with the uh, Formula A team, the Tony Kart team with Yarno Truly. Okay. Before I got the IndyCar deal, Yarno, Yarno Truly was the top driver of the Tony Kart team in Europe. I was his teammate, so I ran the world championships sitting right next to Yarno Truly. Yeah. He was we, my teammate. We don't have, nowadays, karting events. We don't have any of that history. We don't have the videos. Every single karting event in the winter in Florida is uh, videotaped and press releases for the, the kids now. Um, I don't 
follow directly the carding, but I see them graduate into the road to Indy. Yes. yes. That's so much of your history that we don't know about. And I appreciate you sharing it so much. So uh, oh. continue, please. So, you know, I got to tell you. Yeah. We, we kicked a lot of ass here. When I went there, that elevated my game. Mm-hmm. I spent lots of time there. I lived in Bergham, Netherlands. As a young man in my early 20s, you know, got to tell you, it's the greatest time in my life. I learned a lot. You get on the track with those guys, they're feeding you to the wolves. They are feeding you to the wolves. You had to either figure it out or get the hell out of the way. Yeah. They had some get those, things Get I those elbows out. We, yeah. Oh, my gosh. They – it was a different world from where I had come from. We were kicking ass over here, but mediocre at best over there. I had to shit or get off the pot, man. And by the time I get there and I'm on the Tony Kart team, I was exposed to just an entirely different world. Entirely different world, man. And I had to grow up overnight. I was not going to let this beat me. My family was in support of me. My dad was paying the bills for me to be there. I had a couple sponsors. Mark Zartarian was one of them, who is the owner of High Rev Engineering, builds a lot of go-kart motors out here, lives in San Diego. He was one of my sponsors. Douglas Wheel. Douglas Wheel, they built a lot of wheels for uh, sprint cars and stuff like that. I knew Douglas. I knew Doug when he had a one-car garage shop in San Marcos mm. before mm. now, you know, millions of dollars he's made in the industry and RLV, they make the, the exhaust for go-karts. Okay. Now they're doing a lot of other things too. Million dollar companies. Now these, these places are, and we were on board with those guys when they were small. So between my dad, you know, my parents, RLV, Douglas wheel, and high rev engineering, I was in. I was able to visit Europe, learn a lot on the team. I have pictures of me and Yarno Truly. Both of us were thin, young kids sitting next to each other. His English was okay. We were talking about chassis setup. We were chass- talking about the things I was doing wrong. We were talking about a, a, a being an American driver. We were talking about the tires. We were talking about, and we were sitting there. And I still have these pictures in magazines. Incredible experience. I came back from there. No one could touch me when I came back from Europe. It was like a night and day driver change. They could not touch me. That was what catapulted me, I believe, into IndyCar. Mm. Touching me. I I went from go-karts to IndyCar. I didn't drive anything in between. And as far as I know, I still have the record with the IRL for the fastest rookie test. I completed my rookie test in 60-something laps. And Brian Barnhart, when he was there, he's the one that, that told me. He said, you know, normally, kid, people come into this, you know, they got to learn car control. And you're sitting in a bathtub of a car that's hauling ass, 200-plus mile an hour. And it's a lot for some people. But I got to tell you. The way they took care of me, the IRL took care of me between Tony, George, and Brian Barnhart and the people in the office, 
that was man that's the reason why i was able to do what i was able to do at the end fantastic time fantastic times <laughs> still makes me smile love hearing the, no. love hearing the stories uh, and and uh love hearing about that that's what 33 dreams of india is about is i'm also going to be spending right. a lot of time with drivers that are in the the structured road to indy series those that have just graduated yes. from carts or uh formula ford f1600 if you could speak to those drivers that are just uh starting their career graduating from carts and are trying to make it up through the the single a double a triple a ranks what advice would you give them Oh, you know, I read, because of my dad, I read racing magazines. Mm -hmm. My dad subscribed to Carter News magazine back then and brought a stack of them. I don't even know where he got them from. About driving line, about steering input apex accelerating gear ratios i would say become one with it and involve yourself completely with the sport i had a dad that was a race car driver anyway he ran stock cars he built the engines for guys out at ascot but back then nobody of color was doing those kinds of things i don't know if you've ever heard of eddie sauer Eddie Sauer was one of the drivers my dad built engines for back in the day. Mm. Back then, I was riding motorcycles and things like that before we got into go-karts. But I'd have to tell those guys, surround yourself and immerse yourself in the sport with, like anything, like in business also, with mentors. Mm. And the fact that I was able to accumulate this knowledge at such a young age, it helped me along the way to kind of help me mature. I still had some goofy things going on in my head. I was a kid, but I didn't let those things show. And I always had my parents around me. So the second thing I would probably say is keep good people around you. You know, started making a bunch of money, you know, had a couple hundred thousand dollars in my checking account. Well, I don't, you know, for the first time in my life, I spent a bunch of money. And my dad said, listen, we're happy. We accomplished our dream. We started this thing a long time ago. And now we're here. And this is what he told me. But I'm going to tell you something else. And he, he talks very country. He's about as country as Steve Harvey. He said, I'm going to tell you something else, kid. All that money will do you no good if you don't know what the hell you're doing. So me and your mother are going to take that and we're going to invest it. Because it's just like the NFL. You never know when it's going to end. You don't know if you're going to crash that thing and take off your legs. You don't know. And he did exactly that. And because of that, I own a couple businesses now. I didn't see the money. He said, we'll leave you some. Have yourself a great time. Have a great time. Mm -hmm. But the bulk of it, 
you're going to have some diversified investments to fall back on. And that's what he did. That's what he did. And I have an auto repair business, got a couple yogurt shops. Uh, you know, I have a nephew that drives. He wants to be a race car driver too. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're a family of drivers, man. You know, my, my, my younger brother, he's a damn good driver too. But I always would tell him, there's a difference between being a good driver and driving great. Which are you? He goes, well, I don't know. I said, when you figure it out, you come back and you talk to me. We'll have a conversation about it. I'll let you know which one you are. If you can steer the car, that's one thing. Steering the wheel, is uh, that's one thing. But there's a whole lot more that comes into this, I've learned, on the professional level than you know, little brother. I haven't sponsored him with, uh, you know, in the uh, Indy Lights. He had a problem, my brother, Tony, he had a problem with being able to see the wheels. He was accustomed to the NASCAR stuff. He was in the diversity program. He was in that diversity program with NASCAR. And he's a kick-ass driver. He's a kick-ass driver. He just did not like the open wheel thing. Gotcha. He couldn't. He's like, how do you deal with that? Seeing the wheel and feeling the air hitting you. I said, it's, I don't, I don't know. It just depends on who you are, you know? Yeah. What, what oh, yeah. What you're used to. And, and the, the, I appreciate you sharing that wisdom. Uh, probably back when I saw you run the Indy 500, I had a little bit more hair um, and have learned a lot since then. <laughs> and and uh, yours might yes. be by choice or not, but uh, we've, we've matured along the, the way and, and appreciate you uh, sharing those stories. Um, I'm also doing this. I reached out. Uh, um, I had a young driver that uh, was in the Lucas Oil Racing School shootout, David Dalton Jr., and he has okay. applied for the Drive for Diversity program. I wanted to highlight him uh, with Black History Month. Um, if you could change one thing about race in racing, what would it be? You know, I would ask this question to other people, I'd ask a question on top of a question that was asked of me okay. previous. Like, does it matter? When you have your helmet on, nobody knows what color we are. The car doesn't know. What do we, what do we give? Who are we inside? How are we wired? How, how many people do we help? How do we treat fellow human beings? Black, white, Asian, green, how do we treat those people? And what I would say is I understand that in this world, some people put a lot of emphasis on a person's color. Well, none of us, including you, none of us have control over what color we are, where we come from. But along the way, what have you done to make the world a better place how many people have you influenced and i guess for me i would say to people sometimes does it matter if i'm black or brown or green i would ask customer uh, not customers i would ask fans that and most often 
they would respond with, no, no. I had one lady tell me, I don't have a lot of confidence in myself around people of color. I don't have a lot of experience with that. Mm. I said, you know, we're still human. We still bleed red, I told her. I was signing an autograph for her, and I took a picture with her little, she had a son that was probably about nine, and I was his hero. And I said, being his hero, if that makes him a better kid, if that makes him, you know, a better person growing up, gives him some direction. The difference between black or white, they have to be taught that. They have, that's a learned behavior. And she gave me a kiss and a hug and we took a picture and I still have the picture. I still have the picture. But you know, as much hate, we need to show a little bit more uh, empathy, a little bit more love and understanding. And with that, you know, we'll leave this world a better place than, than the way it was when we came. That's well, what I think. Thank you for being a, uh, a trailblazer um, and uh, for sharing your story. Uh, there's not a lot of your story out there, and it does need to be uh, shared uh, as a historic figure. I, I look at you in that light, and uh, there are many others that do. I appreciate you taking the time to do that and sharing uh, your dreams and how your dreams did come true. Uh, that's uh, a little bit of what it's all about. And uh, would love to uh, continue to stay in contact with you because uh, you are an inspiration and uh, have wisdom to share. I appreciate it so much, so much. I would enjoy that. I would enjoy that. I mean, if uh, things, the thing uh, that I've learned with age is uh, we all become better if we communicate. Communication is where it's at. And we cannot fix what we don't acknowledge. Have to talk so, about it. That, that's for sure. I would sure. enjoy that. At the end of the day, people it's remember. Absolutely. Yeah, people remember the stats, but they also remember the stories even that's more. Right. And I appreciate you sharing the stories. And folks, if you're listening to this and you've made it through. Um, and have been inspired like myself, please hit the subscribe button um, on, I'm on all the major players um, for the podcast. I would love for you to show your support, uh, subscribe. That way we can reach out to other either up and coming drivers or others that uh, had their dreams come true and were able to run the uh, Indy 500. Uh, George, thank you so much for your time. Uh, until the rest of you, until next time, keep dreaming.